Hi, welcome to church today. It's great to have you with us. Really looking forward to a few things coming up in the life of our church over the coming weeks ahead. And uh, so let me pray as we open our service this morning. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your goodness, your glory and your grace. We come before you now as your humble servants, as people who love you and who, who want to honour you and, and want to serve you, Lord Jesus. And so right now, Lord, we just ask that you be with us, that Lord, you lead us. And as we worship you now, Lord, may we lift you the name of Jesus high and we give glory and grace to you now. And uh, thank you indeed for the abundant blessings that you bestow upon us continually. May you be praised this morning, we pray. Amen. Let's stand or if you want to, or let's just at least sing it and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth this morning.
We have a men's brunch coming up on uh, the first Saturday in December. That's great. It's going to be outside. We're going to have some lovely sausages and, and some other, so, some bacon and some other yummy things. Uh, so I'd encourage you, if you are a man, then get along to our men's breakfast. Uh, it's the first Saturday in December. It'll be the last one for the year. So uh, invite your mates along, get them to come. Enjoy some time of fellowship. It will be outside. So please bring a chair, bring your own chair, and uh, enjoy some time sitting around outside and enjoying each other's company. Uh, it will be mostly a, a social gathering, and so a good time to reconnect and to have that, that male bonding uh, experience over some, uh, some yummy food and, uh, and encourage you to, to attend. Um, you will need to RSVP. So if you didn't get an email about that this week, 
then please contact and we'll get the information to you. Uh, also, just a reminder uh, that small groups, uh, if you haven't heard what's happening with your small group, get in contact with your small group leader and uh, make sure that you do attend when your small group is on. It's really important that with those opportunities where we are allowed and it is completely safe to do so, zero risk um, as you know previous, uh, get in, go to your small group, uh, come along to what you can because it's really important that we do not give up meeting together but we actually do meet together as the church, although small in number and in smaller groups. It's a bit like the early church in Acts, you know, from house to house. Uh, this is where Christianity began, had its roots. So uh, let's reconnect with that and, and in, in the fervour uh, for our Lord and Saviour together. So don't um, miss your small groups. Also, um, prayer meetings are 10 a.m. Wednesday with cuppa and chat at 10.30. So come along to that. Uh, it's here every week at the church and I just encourage you to be part of that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to when we can hopefully get together. Uh, if numbers do not increase to larger than 50, then I can guarantee you that we're gonna do some sort of outdoor Christmas thing, uh, maybe of, of, a, of, a, of a, an evening. Uh, so it's not in the heat of the morning or the afternoon, but an evening outside uh, for, for Christmas as a celebration. So if nothing else happens, well, bird just hit the window, great. If nothing else happens, then at least uh, we can do that outside. So be encouraged, there is opportunities coming for you to meet together. And remember, you can book into church for 20 people at church, doing church at home at church. Uh, so that's 20 people can book in, do that online. Uh, and get your tickets. Only 20 tickets are populated, and so once they're gone, they're gone. So uh, make sure you get along to that. Uh, I would encourage you uh, that uh, God is still in control no matter what's going on in our world, and I really just want to, to bring uh, Him glory today um, through this service. And so let's sing again as we celebrate Him who has set us free. stories of what they think you're like but I have heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night as you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father to you are to you are to you are and I'm loved by you to I am to I am to I am I've seen many searching for answers far and wide but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know what we need before we say a word you're a good good father to you are to you are to you are and i'm loved by you to i am to i am to i am you 
are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to Love so undeniable I I can hardly speak peace so unexplainable I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 your good good father to you are to you are to you are and i'm loved by you to i am to i am to i am you're a good good father to you are to you are to you are and i'm loved by you to i am it's who i am it's who i am well the last few weeks have certainly been remarkably interesting in our world haven't they for one thing, the presidential U.S. election has highlighted, I believe, the, the greed and selfishness that exists in politics. And it's really shown that gone are the days of decorum, integrity and statesmanlike behaviour in political leaders in the U.S. You have Trump and Republicans clinging to the hope of victory and going to the courts to try and hold on. A little bit like Al Gore was, was, uh, was uh, president-elect for 37 days before the courts overturned that. We'll see what happens in the future here. But on the other side, you also have the Democrats, the left, the media, big tech, doing everything they can to make sure that Trump is not re-elected. And we also see lists of Trump supporters being drawn up by Democrats for retribution. I mean, th this is a crazy world. The US political system seems to be so toxic and divided and it's all being fueled and stoked by greed and selfishness from all parties concerned, it seems. You know, this is the world that has developed in our lifetimes, a world that's so greatly impacted by greed and selfishness that the greed and selfishness of a few seems to be to the detriment of the whole. Self-interest has always been high, but now it seems to be openly applauded as long as you agree with the narrative the progressive left want promulgated and violently opposed if you disagree. Never before in my lifetime have I observed a world more divided than it is today. And I believe that the root cause of this really comes down to greed and selfishness most evident in politics. This is what I'm preaching on today. As we continue with our series in the book of Judges, God's grace in a selfish world, 
as we just look at the account of Abimelech in chapter 9. And so really what we're talking about today is the problem with greed and selfishness. See, Abimelech, he was one of the many sons of Gideon. He was born to a concubine in Shechem, so he was not born from one of Gideon's many wives like the other 70 sons of Gideon. And Abimelech appears to have been overcome with greed and selfishness from day one. Grab your Bibles, let's go. Judges chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, stay in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you. Remember also, I'm your, your bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. So Shechem, it's the home of Abimelech's concubine mother. And it was one of the older city-states in Canaan. Canaanites were its primary inhabitants, as we see from this story. And the son of a concubine has no inheritance of his father's. They remain part of the tribe of their mother. And so Abimelech is seeking to rule over Israel and inherit the position of his father as an illegitimate son. These Shechemites seem to have been even more open to having a king over them than the Israelites were. And since Abimelech was a local boy, as well as the son of Gideon, the famous military leader, the Shechemites favoured accepting Abimelech as their king. And so the next couple of verses, we see Abimelech secure political and financial support for his claim as king and ruler. He then hires some men as supporters. And we're giving an insight into the character of Abimelech by the, by the character of the men that he pays to be his supporters. We're told in verse 4 that these were all worthless and reckless fellows. Abimelech, along with the, these worthless and reckless fellows, round up 69 of the 70 sons of Gideon and kill them. Only Jotham escapes and hides. This was a well-planned mass murder. They didn't die in battle. They were all killed on one stone. And so there'd be no other claim to Abimelech's uh, contrived throne. It was a, a calculated and well-planned execution. And there is a pattern to observe in this story that has remained true. Departure from God, idolatry and self-assertion result in hatred and violence. Abimelech is a Canaanite. He's not a follower of God. He serves the Baals in idolatry and he is greedy and selfish and he self-asserts his importance and prominence and claims the seat of power. The result is hatred for his brothers and violence. He kills them. When I look at America right now, I don't see much different. There is hatred and violence, you know, festering everywhere. Selfishness and greed result in hatred and violence. My first point I want to make about this today is that the greedy and selfish seem to prosper. You know, Abimelech displays unbridled greed for power and selfishness as he asserts himself as king. 
killing 69 of his brothers to secure his stolen, self-imposed throne. And he does with the cheer and support of others. The greedy and selfish seem to prosper. They seem to prosper because their greed is overlooked from those who would also benefit. And their selfishness is championed by those in support because it serves their self-interest also. Speaking of self-interest, have you ever come across or heard about the British East India Company? This is the story of the first ever modern recognisable corporation riddled with greed and selfishness. It began in December 1600 when a few people came together and sold common shares in, in a new company. They searched for a ship, passing over a ship they sort of deemed unseaworthy, a little boat called the Mayfair, by the way, buying a pirate ship instead, renaming it the Red Dragon and hiring former pirates to crew the vessel. They set sail on their first journey headed for the Spice Islands and uh, they come across this heavily loaded Portuguese vessel returning home. They set upon the ship and they steal it and the cargo returning to England where they sold their plunder for a million pounds and they were away. What an, an auspicious start to this new company. They tried to compete with the Dutch East India Company on the spice trade because prior to this, all the spices were carried from the islands overland to Europe with a higher price added with every hand it passed through along the way. You know, it was quite lucrative, of course, then to directly import the goods with no middlemen taking their slice. And most spices were actually worth more than gold by weight. They lost the battle for controlling the Spice Islands with the Dutch, but instead turned their heads to India and the booming textile in industry, which was under, well underway under the Mughal Empire. They had a hand in the collapse, in fact, of the Mughal, Mughal Empire, um, plundering the treasury. They just walked away with it. The company ended up ruling India with their private armies, um, stripping it of its wealth to return profits to shareholders. They had no regard to the human cost of their endeavours, with one third of the population in Bengal perishing from famine because the company would not send aid to the workers in the factories or to the farmers. All they did was just took everything they came across, stripping the once wealthy and prosperous country bare. The company traded in cotton, silk, indigo dye, salt, spices, tea and opium and colonised not just India but parts of Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. By 1803, at the height of the company's rule in India, the company had an army twice the size of the British army. It was estimated during the company's heyday that they alone were responsible for 50% of the global economy. You know the tea from the Boston Tea Party? Well, that was British East India Company tea. Greed and selfishness ruled, and the profits were all going back to the wealthy and powerful in England. This was the first company in the world recognisable as a modern company that we see today, and greed and selfishness was at the core of this company, and it seems to be at the core of, 
of many companies today. It seems to be human nature to turn a blind eye to immoral behaviour if you are profiting from it personally. It seems the same was true with the leaders of Shechem when it came to Abimelech and is still true today. And whilst the greedy and selfish seem to prosper, the faithful seem to suffer. You know, contrast Abimelech with Jotham. Jotham was was forced to flee, the only surviving son of Gideon. Look at his, his response in verse 7 of Judges. We're going to read from verse 7 to verse 21. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which good gods and men are honoured and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam, Gideon, and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice also in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Jotham's fable was a parable with a moral. It's generally recognised as the first parable in the Bible, in fact. The olive and fig trees and the grapevine represented productive human beings. Oil, figs, and wine being among the most important products of Canaan. Brambles, however, bore no fruit and offered no shelter, shade, or protection. They only injured those who got too close to them. And moreover, brambles sometimes spontaneously uh, burst into flames in hot weather and consequently caused much damage. Obviously, the bramble represented Abimelech, The trees and the vine were more noble individuals and the cedars of Lemadon were the upright leaders of Shechem. In this parable, Jotham, whose name means 
Yahweh is perfect or Yahweh is honest, God is perfect, God is honest, calls out the bramble of Abimelech and the destructive nature of Abimelech and warns his destruction will also befall those who put him there. Even today when a good ruler comes into office, many people say God raised him up. But what about the wicked ruler? God permits him to come to the throne also. Do you know why? Because the people get the ruler they deserve. The people of Israel wanted this boy Abimelech to rule over them and they got the caliber of man they deserved. And when we look around our world today, we find this principle is still true. But it is the faithful that seem to suffer. Jotham flees to Beer. Now, Beer wasn't actually a place as such because a beer is a well. And so it most likely means that he fled and hid in a dry well until the threat of Abimelech was passed. So why does God allow the greedy and selfish to prosper whilst at the same time the faithful suffer? How can a gracious God permit this to occur? How can a gracious God allow travesties to occur at the hands of greedy companies or selfish despots? Well, the answer, I believe, comes down to personal responsibility. Each person has the ability to choose their life's direction. You can choose to be a man or woman of integrity, no matter what lot you've been cast, or you can choose dishonest gain. You can choose to be a truth teller and uphold the righteous, or you can choose to peddle lies and deceit. You can choose to sin, or you can choose not to sin. You can choose to be faithful to God or you can choose to dishonour God. You have personal responsibility for the product of your choices. But the greedy and selfish, they don't see it this way. They see their greed and selfishness rewarded in this life and see it as their right. They believe this is what they are owed and this is their destiny. And so stepping on those around them is of no consequence if it will take them to the dithering heights of wealth and power. But, but rest assured, God opposes the greedy and the selfish. We see this in what happens to Abimelech, verses 22 to 25. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. Abimelech's rule over Israel appears to have not only been very small in scope, area and influence, but short in duration as well, three years. He ruled over Shechem and its surrounding territory only. The evil spirit that God sent between Abimelech and the men of Shechem was a spirit of discontent that proved to be disastrous. The men of Shechem conspired to rob Abimelech of the tolls that he received from the travellers and traders who passed through Shechem. We then come across 
a man in the following verses called Gal, leading this rebellion. He was a Canaanite who strongly disliked Abimelech because he was the son of Gideon, who had not only destroyed the altar of Baal in Ophrah, but also had reestablished the worship of God in Israel. Gal, whose name connects with a Hebrew word meaning loathsome, uh, and whose father's name meant servant, did not want Abimelech to continue ruling over that part of Canaan. He did not want Shechem to remain under Abimelech's control either. And so we see the parable of Jotham playing out through the rest of chapter 9. Abimelech is, is opposed from his own people and they all go around fighting each other, laying siege, burning down towers full of people, setting ambushes, fighting and killing each other. God opposes the greedy and selfish as we're told here that God himself sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the Shechemites and set this infighting going between them. We read the account of Abimelech's death in verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against the bears and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me lest they say of me, a woman killed me. And this young man thrust him through and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Following the opposition from Gaal, the Shechemites, uh, this opposition from Gaal and the Shechemites, Abimelech raises an army of Israelites to fight with him against the Canaanites, who ironically were the ones who made him king. They lay siege on the city and fortified tower, yet a woman drops a stone on his head, almost killing him. Ironic that a stone is his downfall when on a stone he killed his brothers. But Abimelech doesn't want to suffer the indignation of being killed by a woman and so orders his young armour bearer to kill him by the sword instead. Still humiliating to be killed by a young man, but better a young man than a woman by his reckoning, I guess. What I find astonishing, though, is that the men of Israel would follow such a man as Abimelech, and them doing so provides a sad commentary on the extremely low moral and spiritual level of God's people at this time. This was what incomplete obedience to God's law plus compromise with his enemies produced. Commentator Daniel Block writes, In this book of Judges, we observe the mercy of God at work in as sharp relief as anywhere else in Scripture. The greatest threats to Israel's existence do not come from outside enemies who may occasionally oppress them. Israel's most serious enemy 
is within. She is a nation that appears determined to destroy herself. Only the gracious intervention of God prevents this from happening. When I think about nations in our world, when I think about this statement, I believe the same could be true of many of our nations. God opposes the greedy and selfish and always offers grace to those who repent and seek him. And we can draw comfort about this characteristic of God. Whilst it may seem that the greedy and selfish prosper while the faithful suffer, God opposes the greedy and selfish. Which brings me to my final point. God serves final justice to all. Every every single person will be called to give account for their actions before God and will be judged by them. Every person will receive God's final justice. The faithful to God, those who have accepted the gospel and are redeemed by the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, will receive their eternal reward in heaven. Those who are left wanting uh, upon God's final judgment will, will receive eternal damnation. But hang on, Aaron. How could a loving God condemn anyone to hell? Well, Randy Alcorn unpacks it quite well in this article that I came across that he wrote two weeks ago. He says this, A recent poll indicated that for every American who believes he or she is going to hell, there are 120 who believe they're going to heaven. This optimism stands in stark contrast to Jesus Christ's words written in the Bible. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, who enter by it, are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew 7, 13-14. The truth is that according to the Bible, we don't automatically go to heaven. In fact, hell, not heaven, is our default destination. Unless our sin problem is solved once and for all, We can't enter heaven. That's the bad news. But once that's straight in our minds, we're ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus took upon himself on the cross the hell we deserve so that we could experience for eternity the heaven we don't deserve. There are two possible destinations when we die, heaven or hell. Can we really know in advance where we'll go? Well, John, one of the writers of the Bible, said this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 We can know for sure that we'll go to heaven when we die. Do you? To sin means to fall short of God's holy standards. Sin is what ended Eden's paradise. And all of us, like Adam and Eve, are sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Sin separates us from a relationship with God. Isaiah 59.2 Sin deceives us and makes us think that wrong is right and right is wrong. Proverbs 14.12 Sin has terrible consequences, but God has provided a solution. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Romans 6.23 Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved us so much that he became a man to deliver us from sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 He came to identify with us in our humanity and our weakness, but he did so without being tainted by our sin, self-deception and moral failings. Jesus died on the cross as the only one worthy to pay the penalty for our sins demanded by the holiness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 But God raised Jesus from the grave, defeating sin's consequences and conquering death. When Christ died on the cross for us, He said, it is finished, John 19.30. In those times, it is finished was commonly written across certificates of debt when they were cancelled. It meant paid in full. Christ died so that the certificate of debt consisting of all our sins could once and for all be marked paid in full. And so here is the critical decision. Only when our sins are dealt with in Christ can we enter heaven. We cannot pay our own way. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4, 12. Because of Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf, God freely offers us forgiveness. To be forgiven, we must recognise and repent of our sins. Forgiveness is not automatic. It's conditioned upon confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Christ offers to everyone the gifts of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Revelation 22:17. There's no righteous deed we can do that will earn us a place in heaven. We come to Christ empty-handed. We can take no credit for salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. This gift cannot be worked for, earned, or achieved. It's dependent solely on Christ's generous sacrifice on our behalf. Now is the time to make things right with God. Confess your sinfulness and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You are made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person and heaven is the place. They are a package. They come together. You cannot get heaven without Jesus or Jesus without heaven. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55 verse 6. For all eternity, you'll be glad you did. If you understand what God has done to make forgiveness and eternal life possible for you, you may want to express it in a prayer 
with words like these, which I encourage you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I confess that I do not measure up to your perfect standard. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I now place my trust in him as my saviour. Thank you for your forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Amen. You know, it might seem that the greedy and selfish prosper while the faithful suffer. But take heart, because God opposes the greedy and the selfish and serves final justice to all, offering everyone the opportunity to repent and believe and change their eternal destiny from one destined to hell to instead be destined for heaven.
thank you for joining us at church this week. That's another week done. Uh, it's been brilliant to have you join with us. I trust that you were blessed by this message today. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you are now enthralled by this decision you've made to, to trade in your destiny of hell for instead a destiny of heaven, then I'd love to have a chat with you and talk with you about it. Um, I'd love for you to connect with me. Um, if you're watching on our online church platform, then you can click the button that's there saying, I want, have, want to give my life to Jesus. Uh, or you can also email me and uh, I'd love to connect with you. Um, if you're watching on any other platform, then get in contact with us. Mangrata Baptist Church, you can do that through our website, through our Facebook page, or directly email me, aaron at wangaratabaptist.com.au. And I trust that uh, this journey that you're on with Jesus is one that will continue to encourage and bless you for the rest of your days. And if you are upset that the greedy and the selfish seem to prosper, then be reminded by the message today. God opposes the greedy and the selfish, and He will bring final judgment. And so that should bring comfort to us who are faithful to the Lord, that at that point in final judgment, we will be uh, in, in, a, in an eternal heaven, an uh, eternal state of worship with the Lord and, and be praising Him uh, and, and be, be in communion with Him. And so that's a great hope that we have to look forward to. I trust that you have been blessed today. And I say to you now, blessings to all. Thank you.